0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Treks in Sci-Fi podcast. Scotty, beat me up. Fascinating. Stand by to receive our transmission. Well, hello again, everyone, and welcome to the third episode in the Trex in Sci-Fi podcast series. I'm your host, Rick Dostey, Rico to some of my friends, and this week's show is going to touch on quite a few different subjects. I've gotten a little response from some of the listeners out there, and there are a few different things I want to talk about this week. Primarily, I want to talk a little bit about the new movie, Serenity, which just came out uh, last Friday, uh, September 30th. Today is Sunday, October 2nd, 2005. I'll give you a, uh, a brief uh, update on what else we're going to be talking about this week. The other areas, the normal areas, the first thing is the Star Trek episode review or a discussion I'll be taking you through the another first season original Star Trek series episode called Charlie X this was one of the earliest episodes in the production of Star Trek and it's uh, one again one of my favorites probably one of my favorite episodes of all time so that's Charlie X we'll be talking about shortly. The other uh, area, the main area that we're going to be looking at is a collectible. And instead of another Star Trek collectible, this week I'm going to move off into uh, the realm of Star Wars. And I'm going to review and discuss the Master Replicas Stormtrooper Blaster that was, I guess, first released approximately a year ago. But we'll talk about more about that uh, later in the show. So here's us on the raggedy edge. Come a day, there won't be room for naughty men like us to slip about at all. So, my first uh, area that I want to discuss this week is the new movie Serenity, based on the Joss Whedon TV short TV series called Firefly that ran on the Fox network back in the fall of 2002, three years ago now. Now, I was, um, I'm one of the fans of, or A big fan of Firefly, but not when it really originally aired. It was originally, I believe it was on Friday night on Fox, ran for only 11 episodes, three of them never aired. And I think I only managed to catch one episode when it originally aired. I think it was the first one they showed, which was called The Train Job. And that episode, it it just didn't really capture my attention, even though I'm a big science fiction fan, obviously. I thought the episode um, just there wasn't really anything unusual or, or anything really. I mean, it was exciting. It had some interesting things going on in it, but I think you know one of Fox's great mistakes, and this has been talked about in various forums and other podcasts about Firefly. They didn't. They didn't run. They had a pilot written and air, you know and they filmed and everything for Firefly, but they didn't air that episode first for some reason I and mean, there's a variety of theories or ideas on that but they ran this chain, train job and when you see the original pilot which you can see with the box set of uh dvds from that complete the the whole series that's available which i highly highly recommend it's it's a great series uh great stories great characters great plots i mean it's just it's just a wonderful 14 episodes i mean i don't i don't think there's another show out there that that can, did as much in 14 episodes that Firefly did, but um, they they ran the train job before the the pilot episode, and I think that really hurt them, along with the fact that it was on Friday nights. They didn't really promote it very heavily, and so forth. But I don't really want to get into a whole history of you know the Firefly on TV again. That's discussed about very in much more detail in uh, other f- podcasts out there. One's called The Signal, which is really really a great podcast that I listen to that they've gone through and had interviews with the cast members and talked about the show, and they even give you Chinese lessons, which is which is really neat. I, I really recommend that podcast. But let's talk about the a new movie. Now, this just came out a couple of days ago, so I'm not going to really give out spoilers uh, here. I don't want to really ruin it for anyone that might be listening, and I'm not even going to just say spoiler warning and then just talk about them because that's kind of a tease a little bit. So, but I'm just going to give you my general impressions of the movie. The first thing is, it's just a great, great movie. Very exciting, very well done. And I really, really enjoyed it. Um, I went opening night in the evening. There were quite a few, I would say most of them were Firefly fans in the audience. And it looked like the crowd. The crowd was really into it. There was a lot of humor, a lot of adventure, excitement, uh, surprises. And they... The crowd really was enjoying it. I enjoyed it. Uh, my son went with me. He enjoyed it. So I can't recommend it enough to Firefly fans that are out there that, that are thinking of going to see this. And don't wait for the DVD. See it on the big screen. It's, it's well worth it. The, that being said, it's, it's hard for me to judge this movie based on uh, a person that might be not familiar with the Joss uh, verse of Firefly and Serenity and the crew. I plan on taking a few other people that are not familiar with it soon to see how their reaction is. I've heard most people say that people that don't know the Firefly universe still enjoy the movie a lot, and I could see that that's that's probably true. I mean, they give you enough background, I think, a little bit at the beginning and throughout the movie, sort of uh, tossed in here and there to give you an idea of what's going on. I mean, it's pretty obvious who the good guys are, the bad guy, pretty much right from the get-go, so... um, but Joss just, he just has a, a good knack of writing dialogue, of creating characters and settings that you really get involved with. Uh, I was a, a really big Buffy fan when it was on, a fan of the uh, also the series Angel. And Firefly just follows in that trend of, you know, real, real good characters. And, and characters that are three-dimensional is, to me, the biggest thing. These characters have... Uh, you know, faults. They're not perfect by any means. They they have good days. They have bad days. They have things that go right. Things that go wrong. Uh, actually, most of the time, they have a lot more that goes wrong. It seems like, but that's what makes us, uh, you know, an interesting story is how they keep trying and keep fighting. So, that um, that being said, again, that just continues into the the Serenity movie. Um, it is just a roller coaster ride it's about two hours long i think it's like one minute less than two hours and it goes by fast i mean there's a couple of slow moments and i wanted to see just a few little things that they you know he had to just sort of brisk, you know breeze right by pretty quickly i mean there were scenes in the in the tv show that they'd be sitting around having having you know food and you know sitting around the table talking and things would go on and those little moments like that kind of had to get sacrificed for the big screen in the movie but uh there's a lot that goes on obviously the movie's mainly focused on the character of river which you know that was always a running thing in the in the tv series and is is greatly expanded and explained in the motion picture but i don't want to go too far into the movie you know again because a lot of people probably haven't seen it but just definitely you know get out there go see Serenity, go see it uh, again and again, go see it with your friends, bring people that don't know the show, get them hooked to watch the DVDs, uh, so we can have another movie in another uh, year or two, hopefully. I, I have heard that the cast is signed for uh, at least two more movies, so I would love to see that. But that's, um, that's about it for the Serenity movie review or discussion. I really, really liked it. <laughs> Now on to our next area to discuss this week is, again, the Charlie X episode of the original Star Trek series. To begin with, I'll just play the, like I have been, the the short little promo uh, coming attraction thing that they would throw at the end of the previous episode. So here you go captain's log stardate 1533.7 we have taken aboard an unusual passenger the sole survivor of a transport crash 14 years ago are you a girl oh charlie's our new darling our darling our darling charlie's our new darling he could love me she's not the girl charlie but if i did what you said if i was gentle charlie there are a million things in this universe you can have and there are a million things you can't have that's the way things are look i'm off duty at 1400 why don't you join me in recreation room six deck three you got a deal friend you're responsible for what happened to the Antares? why answer me well they weren't nice to me what about us charlie Okay, well, that'll give you a basic idea of what's going on. Uh, For those of you that either haven't seen this show in a long time or are not familiar with it, Charlie X is basically the story of uh, a young man named Charlie, Charles Evans, that comes aboard the Enterprise, is being transported um, by the Enterprise to uh, meet up with, uh, I guess it's, I think it's to go to uh, his his family. He was crashed on a planet for uh, 14 years and a crew of a ship called the Antares picks him up and they bring him aboard the Enterprise to, to sort of shuttle him to a, a starbase or something like that. That's not real important. But, um, but it, it becomes real obvious real quickly that Charlie X is not your average uh, teenage boy. He has unusual powers. Basically, he, he's sort of a, a demigod. I mean, he has the ability to do and make anything happen with his mind that he, he, he would like. And the, the wonderful part about the story is giving that kind of power to a teenage boy is, oh, that's, that's a pretty dangerous thing. So seeing how the crew and Kirk and company deal with that is, is very interesting, and I, uh, I really like this episode a lot. A little bit of background uh, on the story before we get into any more detail. The, um, this, this episode is written by D.C. Fontana who was a, a, a pretty regular contributor to the original Star Trek series and in, in her own stories. This was based on an idea, uh, a story idea by Gene Roddenberry. One of the it's probably one of the early stories or earliest stories that were, um, that were thrown about. Gene Roddenberry, when he created Star Trek originally had, uh, I'd say, I think there were approximately about a half a dozen story ideas, concepts for episodes that were turned into some of the earliest star trek episodes this charlie x was one of those uh, episodes but again the story idea is gene roddenberry it was written by dc fontana and i again the episode basically is a character study character study of charlie charlie x charles evans uh, a teenage boy with with vast powers and not really being able to handle them the crew of the enterprise slowly finds out that these um well, Moore finds out at the very end that these powers were sort of given to him by uh, a group of aliens called the Thasians. He crashed, they crashed on their planet, Charlie did a long time ago, and the idea or the the reason for these powers were the Thasians gave him these powers to survive, that he wouldn't be able to survive as a, as a small boy on on the planet by himself without having the ability to sort of manipulate things, matter, create things out of nothing, well, not really out of nothing, but... They don't go into detail. Star Trek doesn't explain that like they do kind of in the later Star Trek series. The original series doesn't go into a heavy detail of how and why these things are possible. Like last week's show that I discussed, Shoreleaf, it really isn't important that they talk about how all these things on the Shoreleaf planet were created or how Charlie X is able to do what he does on the Enterprise. They, they really are looking at what these things and how these things affect the crew of the Enterprise, other people that come aboard is the main idea of the show but uh that being said again this uh is a good study of how kirk deals with charlie kirk is sort of given the assignment before some of these abilities are you know they come out uh, to sort of teach charlie how, how to deal with people and specifically how to deal with women he's been trapped on this planet um for a number of years, for a long time, basically most of his life, and he just doesn't know how to deal with people. He's an adolescent, and McCoy suggests and, and tells Kirk that he needs to teach this kid how to deal with other women because he's attracted to uh, his Kirk's yeoman, Janice Rand, and Charlie just really does not know how to deal with those feelings and emotions that that are going through his head. Obviously, Spock can't do it. McCoy probably would have been a good idea, but Kirk being the big captain uh, sort of takes him under his shoulder. He has a couple of scenes with Charlie where he's trying to teach Charlie how to defend himself to fight. Charlie doesn't really like it. There's a crewman that laughs at him. Charlie gets mad at him and makes the crewman basically disappear. Uh, and that's when Kirk really discovers that Charlie is not all that he appears to be. He's not an ordinary boy. I think the uh, the interesting thing about this is Kirk later in the Star Trek series and he becomes sort of a ladies man uh, and has a reputation a bit. But in this early uh, time of the Star Trek series, that hasn't quite happened. So it's kind of ironic that here Kirk, the, the, the sort of womanizing captain of the, the universe running around out there in the enterprise, is given the task to to teach Charlie about women. And there's a, there's a good exchange with Charlie and him and that I really enjoy and I will uh, play a little bit of that for you right now. There's nothing wrong with you that hasn't gone wrong with every other human male since the model first came out. What if you care for someone? What do you do? You go slow. You, uh, you be gentle. I mean, it's it's not a one-way street, you know. How you feel, and that's all. It's how the girl feels, too. Don't press, Charlie. If the girl feels anything for you at all, you'll know it. Do you understand? You don't think, Jan? You... She could love me. She's not the girl, Charlie. The years are wrong, for one thing. And there are other things. She can. No, Charlie. She is. No. But if I did what you said, if I was gentle... Charlie, there are a million things in this universe you can have, and there are a million things you can't have. It's no fun facing that, but that's the way things are. Then what am I going to do? Hang on tight and survive. Everybody does. You don't. Everybody, Charlie, me too. I think that's a uh, that's a nice little bit. It really uh, sort of uh, punctuates and tells you what's going on and and how hard Charlie's having. Uh, how hard a time Charlie's having dealing with, with his emotions and he has these powers. The uh interesting thing I I also find about this episode is it sort of is is a is a theme that's used a lot in, in, in comics. I'm a I'm a comic book reader also, a big Spider Man fan especially. The the main idea here, or one of the main ideas in Charlie X, is that kind of the idea of great power, great responsibility. The problem being Charlie has never really had to contain himself. He he's he's always been used to getting what he wants, how he wants it. He's never had to deal with other people. Uh, he's on a crew of, you know, or on the enterprise with 400 people around him, half for, well, roughly maybe half are women, and he just can't deal with it. Does not know how to do with it. Deal with it, excuse me. And that's what makes this a very interesting study, you know, it's it's the power corrupts idea and especially in this this character of charlie a teenage boy he just is is really really not up to this kind of a challenge and at the end of the episode of course the thasians show up and take him away because they realize he just is not ready at this point and maybe never would be ready to deal with uh living with humans and being able to control his abilities the um what, a couple other things about this episode that are a lot of fun. There, there are little character bits going on with some of the other sort of minor characters or less uh, than the main three, Kirk, Spock, and McCoy, that you don't see a lot in the other episodes. One thing that I liked a lot is the little scene where um, they're in the sort of rec room area and Spock's playing his Vulcan harp and Charlie uh, gets sort of serenaded by Ohura with a song all about Charlie. And that's what I'm going to play for you right now. Now from a planet out in space, there comes a lad not commonplace. Oh, seeking out his first embrace, he's saving it for you. Oh, Charlie's our new darling, oh, darling, oh, darling, Charlie's our new darling, we know not what you do. I really enjoy that, that time or that, that little song and moment. Uh, Nichelle Nichols is, is really a, a very talented singer, and they, they didn't really showcase or show that very much. They, they, she has a little uh, song and dance kind of number in in the Star Trek V motion picture, which was kind of fun, also. But the uh, the the general episodes of the first or the three seasons of the original series didn't really showcase that very much. But that that was one little part. A little tidbit for uh, for you that that's a little different. The one of the original ideas was actually that Uhura was going to be more of sort of a um, a comedy relief mimic in the recreation room she wasn't going to sing she was sort of going to sort of go around and parody all the the main crew members you know she was going to act like spock act like kirk mccoy um and sort of make fun of them a little bit but they thought better of that idea and instead of having her sort of do impressions and do a little comedy thing and and, and almost laugh at her you know her superior off op- officers which didn't really make much sense. I mean, that that just, it didn't really fit. Uhura was sort of always the heart of uh, the Enterprise, the Star Trek crew and the ship, so for her to do that didn't really seem to fit, even in the early stages of the series. So they had her sing the song to Charlie, which, which was a lot better, I thought. I think the uh, much, much better idea. Another little uh, tidbit of information that's not generally known, the director of this episode, Lawrence Dobkin, was actually uh, an actor originally he acted in a very classic science fiction movie called the day the Earth stood still he was one of the doctors that helps uh, the wounded clato uh, in that movie and he went on to direct uh, TV shows so that that's a little tidbit for you uh, that is not generally known another uh, side tidbit is the um, at one point Charlie sort of does a little magic right after the uh, scene with uhura singing uh he kind of does some magic to impress janice rand and he pulls cards out and they end up having pictures of janice rand on them which is obviously a big surprise to everybody but because you know it's like where did charlie even if he's slipping these cards you know up his sleeves or whatever where did he get pictures of her but the card pictures of janice rand um yeoman rand grace lee whitney were actually some of the early publicity uh photos that were shot for uh star trek the, the character of, of Yeoman Rand, Janice Rand, was actually, or in the early stages of Star Trek, a, a much bigger role and going to be a much bigger character. There are even some black and white stills floating around, they're pretty easy to find, uh, where Kirk and Spock are in the picture along with Yeoman Rand, Janice Rand, Grace Lee Whitney rather than mccoy rather than anyone else they they felt that it was important you know gene roddenberry always pushed to have uh, women uh, in much greater roles in star trek than were generally used in most of the tv shows of of the mid-1960s you know women were just not in positions of power then they were not in any kind of uh you know really, limelight in TV shows, movies, and so on. they were generally okay, here's the wife, the girlfriend, and so forth. You know, the original pilot of uh, of Star Trek uh, that was turned later into the two episode menagerie, had a um, a second in command that was a woman. Number one, which was the the name number one was later used by Gene Roddenberry and the next generation, but that being number one to the captain being his first officer was a woman in the original pilot uh, with Jeffrey Hunter as the captain, as Christopher Pike. So, you know, Gene Roddenberry has a reputation or had a reputation when he was doing these things of putting women in key roles, big positions. But the network and other people got kind of pushed Gene to say, no, we don't want a woman as second in command. Well, so he threw Yeoman Rand in when he created the second pilot with Kirk and Spock and so on. But she eventually got pushed to the side, and after eh, approximately midway or so through the first season of Star Trek, you never really saw Yeoman Rand again until she popped up in very, very brief roles in some of the movies. But they wanted Kirk to be sort of footloose and fancy-free. They went and didn't want him tied down by a woman, whether it was his yeoman or, or whatever. You know was, That was part of the reason, but... You know, Uhura was there. You know, opening hailing frequencies for the crew, and that was okay. But they they pushed her way, way, way down and and basically off off the show, which I f- I feel is kind of a shame. I mean, they obviously the next generation. They had some pretty key roles go to the women in that show, and eventually in Star Trek Voyager, even they had a woman captain, which um, was was a good idea. I think they you know they're. It just shows it, that Star Trek, uh, like everything else, movies, TV, literature, is, is a product of its time. But, you know, he was pushing the envelope then and continued to do so and still made some amazing episodes. But that's about it. I, as much as I wanted to say, I think, about the episode Charlie X, it's a great show. Um, it's, it's very interesting to see how the crew deals with this new person aboard, and I think it's resolved well. And it would have been another one of those shows that would have been great to, to sort of follow up on if Star Trek had con- continued the, to see what happened with Charlie and the Thasians, if he was ever able to come back and integrate with you know, society and the Federation in general. It would have been a good um, follow-up episode to do in some future season. But, of course, that never took place. Hey, everyone. This is Scott Johnson from the Extra Life Radio Show. You're listening to Treks in Sci-Fi. With my friend Rico. Okay, before I get to the next segment, I want to say hi to uh, Morales. I'm not sure if I'm saying that correctly, but I got an email from him. He lives in Mexico City. He also is uh, on a forum that I frequent quite often, the Extra Life Forums, so I just wanted to say hi, I got your email, I really uh, enjoyed hearing what you had to say about some of the earlier shows I did, and I hope to continue uh, doing what you had discussed, talking about various Star Trek philosophies, and what I think about the various episodes, and how that plays into them, the sort of hope for the future ideas, so... Thanks a lot for your email, Morales. Uh, Anyone else that would like to email, I didn't say this at the beginning of the show, and I'll I'll just try to slip it in now, I guess, but you can email me at uh, treks, that's T-R-E-K-S-F at gmail.com, treksf at gmail.com. The website, again, for this show is www.treksf.com for Treks in Sci-Fi. So thanks for the email, Morales, and I hope other people will write in also. I've gotten a couple other ones, um, brief comments from other people that I know who have listened, and I kind of said, hey, listen to my show, and, and they did and liked it. So uh, now we're going to talk about the Master Replicas Stormtrooper Blaster. Pokey religions and ancient weapons are no match for a good blaster at your side, kid. Okay, for the collectible segment... Yes, we'll be talking about the Stormtrooper Blaster. This piece was put out, I believe it first came out in 2004 by Master Replicas. I think that's it, maybe maybe late 2003. But um, this is based on a British Sterling uh, weapon. I'm not sure the era of the weapon, but it is a uh, a really, really nice piece. It has a lot of weight to it. Well, let me just back up a second. Obviously, if you know Star Wars, the uh stormtroopers in, you know, like episode 4 and so forth carried these black um sort of short machine gun looking uh weapons. The Star Wars movies, especially A New Hope and even Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi, but definitely A New Hope, it was um it was kept uh, you know, the the budget to be, you know, that Excuse me. To keep the budget down, George Lucas had to use a lot of real-world uh, objects. The blasters, the various blasters, the one that Han Solo uses, the uh, is is the Han Solo blaster is based on a, a Mauser uh, weapon, you know, that was used in I think the World War One was probably the main main time it was used. World War Two, maybe a little bit later, but modified, but. Definitely early, uh, early 20th century weapon. Modified, of course, with a different kind of flash uh, nozzle on the end and a different type of scope. And the Stormtrooper Blaster is based on also uh, a machine gun weapon, a British Sterling, like I said. Modified with a few other items on it. But it's it was... George Lucas's idea for a couple of reasons to use real world items in creating the star wars universe one he he felt that that made it more real. He felt that if he used items that were somewhat familiar, especially in the weapons, you know they they wouldn't look so sort of nineteen fifties you know space like you know he wanted to keep things sort of i hate to say the words keep it real but that 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 was mainly one of his main goals or reasons for doing this. But probably even more so, the other one was, was just cost. It was much simpler, to, instead of having somebody mold and create something brand new from the, from scratch for weapons, it was much easier for him to just take, uh, you know, I'll give me a gun, we'll stick some little doodads on the side of it, and we'll use that for our stormtroopers to carry around and blast people, you know, however inaccurate they were at times. So that that's, that's the sort of idea behind this. They... He took weapons that were readily available. A lot of this was filmed in, in Great Britain, the original Star Wars movie. So it was simpler for him to use weapons that were familiar and they could modify. Again, the this is based on a British Sterling, the Stormtrooper Blaster. I'm going to have some pictures up on the uh, website of the item that I have, or the, the replica that I have of it. But a lot of fans have made these over the years and used original... Um, or, or duplicated British Sterling weapons. But this this is really a nice piece. It has, like I said, good weight to it. The trigger does not move or anything. It doesn't make any kind of sounds, lights, noises. Uh, it has a sort of a orange plug. It's not real, real visible. Uh, you have to look in the end of the barrel. But, you know, the gun laws for replicas out there um, dictate that they put that kind of item in there to You know, so people don't, I guess, carry these things off to the local... Uh, you know, party store and try to hold them up with a with a Star Wars replica weapon. Um, so they put these these orange, they call them blaze orange plugs in the end. But in the in the stormtrooper blaster replica that Master Replicas made, that it's not real real obvious that that's in there. It's kind of down in the barrel, and you don't really notice it. And I know some people that have gotten these items have have modified that. They've either um, painted over it black inside, or, or taken it, scraped it out, or taken it out of the barrel. But this is a as a real nice piece. It comes with a a very nice display case, which I'll take a picture of also and put it on the website. I don't think Master Replicas, and I've had this link up on my uh, website. They don't have these in stock anymore. I know they can be found still on eBay, probably for eh, 300 three four hundred dollars. I think originally it went for somewhere in that range also. I don't I haven't really checked eBay lately to see what the prices are at. But uh, I don't think they've gone up a lot. There were quite a few of these produced. Let me check real quick, and I'll tell you how many. Okay, I just checked, yes. They, um, I have, uh, actually, mine is numbered 672 out of 3,500. So there were quite a few of these made by Master Replicas, 3,500 total, plus a few artist proofs that they uh, don't number but are uh, extras for people that might have a problem with theirs. They give out as freebies to, to customers. Uh, certain people, certain shops and things will get them, but usually there's 30 or 50 of those. So a little more than 3,500 of these exist and are out there. This is, uh, again, a great piece. It's all in black. It comes with a great display case. I just also checked eBay real quickly. It looks like they're about $400 they're going for right now. So really not a huge markup from where they were originally. I think the original cost was I think it was 350, but uh, it, it it does miss. It's got a few details that are not on there that were on the shooting ones. There's this thing called a uh, a Hagelin counter with some wires and that that are on the original shooting ones that is not on there. And the real um, replica prop replica purists will will tell you that you know there are some things missing on this piece that are not uh, that are. Not on it that are that exist on the ones that were used in the movies, but for your average person out there that that likes collecting these types of items and wants a really, really nice piece and a very nice display that's uh you know, painted well, has a nice scope, again it's 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 a really good good Star Wars item and it's it's kind of a a bit of a classic. I mean the the, the blaster that the stormtroopers used Throughout episodes uh, 4, 5, and 6, you know, there were some slight changes to them throughout the series, but not, um, not real, real huge ones. So th- this piece is used quite a bit throughout the movie series. So getting a hold of one of these and having it in your collection is kind of, it's like having a lightsaber from the Star Wars series or a phaser from Star Trek or a communicator. Sort of one of the iconic classic items in collecting out there for prop replicas. I highly recommend it. Uh, I think they did an excellent job at producing an item that uh, is um, a classic Star Wars piece. Okay, so that's it for the main two segments of the show, not counting the Firefly discussion that I had at the beginning, but I you know, talked about the Charlie X episode and the Stormtrooper Blaster by Master Replicas. Those are the two main sections. The last thing I wanted to discuss here... Well, a couple things. The first being my uh my webpage for those of you who have visited it and are getting this podcast, I have to apologize that more pictures from my collection are not up and available yet. It's uh, sort of slow going. I do plan on, you know, tackling it a section at a time, but I'm going to get those pictures up as soon as possible. I'm setting up a little area here to uh, take some better photographs of some of the items and get them posted as soon as possible. So please bear with me, and those things will be happening in the near near future, hopefully within the next few weeks. The last thing I want to discuss this week would be sci-fi on, on television. This year, uh, the fall of 2005, there, there seems to be a huge new sort of glut almost of sci-fi, alien invasion TV shows and I want to talk about those I want to wrap up though first and talk about Battlestar Galactica I think I've mentioned that on one of the other shows that I really enjoy the new Battlestar Galactica and it ended in a big big cliffhanger if you're a fan of Battlestar Galactica the new show on sci-fi I think it was just last week about a week ago where they they showed the episode with the Pegasus Uh, another Battlestar shows up sort of similar to what happened in the original series and it was really really good Uh, for those not watching this show you really need to to check it out so battlestar galactica love it and can't wait for january for the new episodes to start up the uh there are three new alien invasion tv shows this year i have seen two of them so far one of them i have on, on tape and recorded that I, I want to get caught up on. The two that I have seen, there are, there are three. It's funny, there's one on each network. First, we'll start with um, NBC has the uh, the surface one. The aliens are in the water or either just showed up in the water. Maybe they have uh, were in the water for a long time. But surface, this is on Monday nights, 8 o'clock. And this show so far, I've seen three episodes, I think or two, two or three episodes, whatever. I've seen every one that they've shown so far. It's not really, there's not a lot happening. They got this little iguana-like water creature that these kids caught and putting it in their bathtub. And, you know, there's this woman who's sort of a a marine biologist and she kind of knows what's going on. And there's this guy whose brother got sort of taken away or killed by this big sea creature. And, you know, oh, my telephone's ringing. Hang on one second. Okay, I'm back. Sorry about that. So, Surface, yeah, they're, they're, this could be not so much so far seeming to be aliens as it is, uh, like, you know, sea creature type stuff. So, it's okay. I'll probably keep watching for a couple more shows, but um, we'll, see it, we'll see where it goes. The other one uh, is the ABC series, and they, they made it pretty simple. They're just calling this one Invasion. This is on Wednesday nights at 10 o'clock, I believe after Lost, which isn't going to hurt its ratings, that's for sure, which I'm a big fan of Lost, love that show, and never miss it, but uh, I really, uh, this show I've seen two now, or three, again, they're kind of running together, I watch these things, I record them generally, and I I watch them in parts later on, so this, again, not a lot going on yet, I mean, this is sort of like the Invasion of the Body Snatchers uh, version of, of Alien Invasion, and Eh, i i'm okay with it it's it's probably a little more interesting than surfaces so far the the characters seem a little more real um but uh, they they also seem a little sort of how should i say it a little cardboard at times too um but it's it's not really all that you know it's not really doing it for me either uh, they're just um i think the whole idea of alien invasion concept uh and although i did enjoy the war of the Worlds remake movie over the summer with tom cruise uh, i enjoyed it more than i thought i would but the that idea of a science fiction tv show that concept for me at least is not very interesting i think it has limited things you can do with it um i think it's it's just i I've, i've always had a hard time with like you know, aliens coming to the to the Earth and invading us—whether they do it for good things, for bad reasons, whatever they do—I've always had an, a kind of a bit of a problem with that whole concept or idea. It just—it just comes off kind of cheesy. It sounds like it's a nineteen fifties, you know, movie almost. And not that I didn't enjoy those, but I enjoy them because they're kind of humorous. And 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 you know, with all even the greatest new special effects and make, treating the, the subject a little more seriously, it still comes off as. You know, why? Why are these guys here? Why are they coming to Earth? Who, You know, what's so special? Why Why do they want to be here? And it doesn't, you know, I'd almost prefer that they come here and they're like our buddies, you know, that kind of thing. But anyway, that's that's sort of a side topic and just my opinion on the whole thing. The last show, which is actually out of these three alien invasion type shows, the one I wanted to see the most. However, the people at this one's on CBS Friday nights, I think the usual time slot is is nine o'clock. This one's called Threshold. The, the problem being is these guys really goofed up. Friday night, that's Sci-Fi Channel's Friday night. I mean, that with Stargate, SG-1, Atlantis, and Battlestar Galactica, even though they have finished for their sort of half of their season, their, their summer to fall run, so they're not on currently, at least not in new, new shows, they're on in reruns. But these these goofs basically, you know, throwing another science fiction show up against this stuff on Friday night is a bad, bad idea. They should move the show now. I don't care where else you put it, but Friday night is a bad idea for this show. Friday night in general is is not a good night to show new TV shows. And certainly a science fiction show going up against the power of the sci-fi channel with their block of sci-fi shows, it's... It's a difficult thing and even though I've been recording those shows, I've been watching Atlantis, SG One, and Galactica instead, so I'm not really caught up on threshold. But I do plan on watching it now. I've got a little bit more time. Some of these shows are, like I said, going into reruns now, so I'll be able to catch up on this and hopefully in another podcast or two I'll give you my take on it. But anyway, so so far not not super thrilled with the new sci-fi shows on t- network TV. I don't think any of them are anywhere near the caliber or the interest and excitement as a Galactica or even the Stargate shows are. So we'll see how they progress, though. I'll watch for a few more shows and and let you know what I think. Well, I think that's about it for this week's show. I'm trying to get these podcasts out again once a week uh, over the weekend on Sundays, usually, and when I'm going to be doing them and posting them Sunday sometime and, and getting one up. But it's it's slow going still. I'm I'm struggling still a little bit with the technology and the and the hardware and the software and Audacity and all those good things. Last week I I, I almost died when Audacity crashed on me and I had to recover the whole the whole show and, and re put it together. Let's just say it took pretty much a whole day to, to do last week's show. I'm shooting for only a couple of hours, maybe you know an hour or so to record and and another hour or so to uh, do all the extra. Act- Extra editing and adding, you know, stuff to the show, but that's not all that important to everyone else. Just wanted to say this has been uh, Rico Rick Dosti from Michigan on the Treks in Sci-Fi podcast. Thanks everyone for listening. I'll be back next week. Oh, I'm one thing I want to mention. I'm going to sort of preview next week's show at the end of each show. So next week, my plans right now are to talk about the Star Trek episode next week's show will be a muck time. The Spock goes goes into heat. Spock and heat show. So next week's Star Trek review will be a muck time. And the collectible I'll be looking at next week will be the Roddenberry.com tricorder that I built uh, a couple of years ago. And there are actually pictures of that already on my website, so you can get a look at that already. So it's going to be a muck time and the Star Trek tricorder from roddenberry.com. Thanks again for listening. Signing off now. Bye-bye. This has been a Rick Doste production.